Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has five years of law enforcement analysis experience. She started as an officer, then an analyst in Arkansas. She recently moved to Georgia and is now the owner and co-founder of Consultalytics. She has a master's in criminology. She's an IBM certified analyst. Please welcome Nicole McKendry. Nicole, how are we doing? I'm good, Jason. How are you? I am doing very, very well. Appreciate your time today. Uh, I'm interested to hear your journey and talking about, in particular, some training, some must-haves that you would recommend for police departments, analytical units. Um, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, so let's first <laughs> start from the beginning. How did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? It was totally by accident, honestly. So I did not really know law enforcement could have uh, an analyst side. I was in uh, graduate school at the time, still on patrol, and the nerdy side of me started coming out. And so I decided to pursue that a little bit more. And luckily, the new administration at my previous agency wanted to start a crime analyst program. And that is how I got started doing it. So you start as an officer then. So how did you even get into becoming an officer? That (laughs) at the, I would say the chagrin of my of my dad, it was all (laughs) his fault. He he was a cop. I mean, I grew up in that environment. I was in college. I had gone in for kinesiology, actually. I could not get along with my science classes, so I decided I was going to switch gears, and the sociology department had just opened up criminology as a track, not its own major just yet, but as a track. And so I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. So I'm going to go for that. And I did. And I decided I was going to be a cop. And that that was a great conversation that I had with my dad. So did he not want you to become an officer? (laughs) I'm not going to say he didn't not want me to. It's just not what he expected. I remember being in the car with him. We were driving home from AutoZone and (laughs) I told him, dad, I want to be a cop. And he looked at me and said, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) There's no such thing. (laughs) Yes. So, yes. But once I went through academy and started having those experiences, my dad and I would have our battle stories and we just really identified with a lot of stuff. And so I really, I really like that I had that relationship with my dad. All right. No, good. And I, I think, though, too, from your perspective, as you look back now, your childhood, I mean, you're growing up in that environment. You're growing up with your dad's stories or talking about work or maybe having been in parties where there's other officers 
at mm-hmm. the party there. So you're fully ingrained into the, into this police culture. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I really remember uh, his game and fish days. I I would go out on calls with him to like bears being out and deer and <laughs> all kinds of things. So I re- I remember all of that. And so it's so interesting to me. And then you know fast forward to me actually being on the street and I get to work with his game and fish buddies and there's people that like know the name. It was just it was just a really cool full circle thing for me. All right. So is he for an officer for like fish and wildlife? He was, yes. Okay. So he was a, he was a game warden for Arkansas Game of Fish. Okay. All right. I, it's it's funny because I had Drew Dasher on and he was talking about he, he grew up in Georgia as an officer and he was talking about humping the calls. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What kind of lingo? So when you start talking about bears and fish and I was like, is that slang for some kind of officer? <laughs> nope. Literal, like literal bears and fish. <laughs> yeah. Once you started talking a little bit more, I was just like, oh, I think she's actually talking about bears and fish, which did fit one of what I was uh, envisioning as you were telling the story so (laughs) but and so you didn't necessarily go in wanting to be an officer you like fell back into it but I gotta imagine that it felt familiar like once you go into that as you mentioned the sociology and they start developing the the criminology degree and you start dabbling the waters it has to feel familiar oh oh yeah yeah, it's it all clicked with me a lot more than anything else. And eventually, when I got out of college, I got a job at my first agency right out of college. And I went through academy. Everything was clicking for there. Once I hit the street, everything just fell into place. I was I was comfortable. I was in my element for sure. Yeah. Any any funny stories from the academy? Oh, goodness. Actually, yes. So I <laughs> went to Academy in Camden, Arkansas. We like to call it the armpit of Arkansas. There's nothing there. And they sequester us all week. So I stayed down there for a whole week. We were dismiss- dismissed on Fridays, and then we come back on Sundays. And I was there during the winter time, so no one really wanted to be there because it was hunting season. And so we all just kind of lollygagged around. There as we were outside one day, there was a cat, a little kitten, that decided to befriend all of us there and me a little bit too much because I started giving it Cheerios. (laughs) And it uh, started to come into the dorms. We would find it on and random people's beds. Um, it would come work out with us in the morning. And then in December, as we were marching, it came out to formation with us. And I decided to scoop it up, put it in my jacket. And I was squad leader of my squad. So here I am at the front of the pack with a cat in my coat just sticking out as we're marching to the flag formation. <laughs> Did you end up taking the cat home? I didn't. So oh, okay. I, I had a dog and he did not like cats. And so <laughs> another cadet that I went to academy with actually uh, took the cat home. And, oh, and man. as far as I know, still has him. <laughs> oh, man. It is funny for I think for as impersonal as cats, I think, have the reputation, the reputation to be. I, I do feel that they like to mingle with strangers type of thing. And yeah. 
and yeah, I have a neighbor here, and she, they have a cat, and they found out that the cat gets fed by like two other neighbor houses, and he's the cat's already <laughs> overweight, but like the cat just goes around and like friends other neighbors, and then they feed the cat because they see the cat there. <laughs> so he, they found out he's getting like five meals a day. <laughs> He's not hating it at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I am not a cat person either. I'm a dog person, but it, cats are not necessarily my thing, but I do find them fascinating. <laughs> all right. So then what was the street like as you become a pro patrol officer? You know, I, like I said before, I really was in my element. Mm -hmm. I... I had a couple of, of, you know, close calls, like I feel like every one of us have these days, but the community and like the brotherhood, I mean, I'm a full-fledged woman, obviously, but the brotherhood that I had with all my big brothers on my shift, I mean, it was really great. I was baby sister to them. There were times that, you know, they really came to my aid. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I loved it. Even going to the calls, the not knowing what you were going to every day, there was no routine to it whatsoever. I really liked that aspect of it. Yeah, well, let's get into some stories then, because you, it's about 2018, and you got a, you got a situation where you're in a street fight. Oh, yeah, that happened at just my last agency. That was super crazy. I went to a call, and the guy there had some mental health issues and some drug abuse issues, and fast forward through our contact together, it was determined that he was going to jail. He did not want to go to jail. <laughs> so <laughs> a fight ensued and uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty gnarly fight. I was by myself for a little bit of it. I couldn't call for help. Um, my radio was disabled. And then when backup did arrive, it was just too much, I think, for my backup to handle. He just didn't have the training or the experience to really oh. back me up the way that he should have. But the the whole entire county was coming to my aid. I knew that for sure. I could hear all the sirens. They just didn't know where we were at. And Ooh. turns out, yeah, and there's video of it if you really wanted to go look for it, um, but you're the video showing like the last minute and a half of a nine minute long fight is what we determined it was the whole reason why my fellow officers knew that i was in a fight was the guy that we were fighting the suspect he had a phone that was actively on a call with 911 and they could hear me my dispatch could hear me screaming so that's the whole reason they knew that I was in a fight. Man, let's get the tail of the tape here for a second. I'm trying to envision this. So at the time, what is your height and weight? And what do you think his height and weight were? Oh, he was six foot, maybe a little bit more and easily like 250, 80 in that range. And I have stayed the same. I am 5'5 five five and in the 110s. Oh, jeez. So. Twice, <laughs> twice your weight, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's hyped up, you know, on some stuff and I'm just, you know, trying to like figure it all out. I tried tasing him. That didn't, that didn't help. He got a hold of my handcuffs at one point, put them around his, his knuckles and chipped my tooth up. Yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy fight. He hit me with my baton. He tried pulling my gun out of the holster. Yeah, it was crazy. And then to wrap it all up, he stole my police car. 
<laughs> went for a little tiny pursuit. They, I mean, they were right on his tail. As soon as he pulled out of the lot in my patrol car, they were right on his tail. So it's not like he was out gallivanting in my patrol car. The pursuit lasted for a few minutes and he tried to pull my rifle out of the lock in my patrol car, but that didn't work out. He didn't know how to control it. So mm-hmm. he was he was caught though. He stayed in jail for a little while and that case actually ended just earlier this year, actually, he finally, he finally, finally pled guilty. So it was a, it was good closure for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, was this part of a traffic stop or how did you come in contact with, with this individual? Original contact was for him calling 911 repeatedly for no reason. So miscommunication mm-hmm. on 911 or misuse of 911. And the second time that I contacted him, which was just a few minutes after I had left the original call, he that was a traffic stop. By that time, he had gotten to a car with someone and was still calling 911. So, and I and found what, I found them and stopped them. And yeah. And what what was he calling 911 for? Nothing. No no reason at all. He uh, would just call, stay on the phone, right. say some gibberish, and then hang up, call right back. <laughs> yeah. Before the skirmish started, what led up to the skirmish? Like, what what were you wanting him to do, and what was he doing in reaction to to what you were trying to get him to do? You know, I think this is a fault of many an officer. I had a mindset that he was misusing 911. I gave him a warning the first time, the second time, and he kept doing it. So that second time I made contact with him, he was going to jail for it. Between the first and the second contact with him, I found out that he did have an active warrant. And so no matter what, I mean, he he could go in on the warrant. So I had the mindset that, by God, I'm the police and you're getting out of this truck because you're going to jail. And so I tried getting him out of the truck. He wasn't coming out of the truck. And when I tried opening up the door, which it didn't, he was on the passenger side. I tried opening it from the outside. It wouldn't open from the outside. The driver told me it could only be open from the inside. So I go over there in the in the cab of the truck, and it was a little bench seat, just a one bench truck, mm-hmm. and uh, tried opening up the door from the inside, and he bit me, and it just kind of <laughs> ensued from there. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm actually glad that it ended. Is I know you said you got a chipped tooth and a couple of cups and scrapes and and everything but that certainly could have ended way worse than that oh yeah but lessons lessons were learned and and definitely a experience for the books yeah and i mean nine minutes is a long time yes yeah you don't it doesn't right. sound like very long for some people mm-hmm. but you don't know how long that really is a minute is yeah. until you're in a fight like that yeah no that would be that would seem like an eternity nine minutes in that situation so all right so that was 2018 and then in, in 2019 you win a couple of life-saving awards mm-hmm. um, for the sheriff's office so what, what did you do to earn that so those were two uh, narcan life-saving awards um, mm. so i went to an overdose and i used uh, quite a few doses of narcan on someone and our department of health sends out Anytime we use Narcan successfully, they uh, send out life-saving awards to the officer that distributed the the Narcan or administered the Narcan. Yeah, that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the term Narcan. It's an overdose situation, but what what are you actually doing when you 
uh, administer it. Okay, so have you ever used uh, Flonase? <laughs> like one of those little nose squirter thingies? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly how Narcan is administered. It's just an anti-opiate mist that's in there. So I spray that up someone's nose and it's like a jolt. It's almost like an adrenaline shot to their bloodstream. <laughs> and it just jolts them back to life, essentially. Yeah, okay. So in this situation, they're pretty much lifeless, right? It's not like they're fighting you. Yeah, the the two here, they were they were out. They were unconscious. Mm -hmm. They had taken heroin and they were, I mean, they were well on their way to leaving this earth. So I Narcan, I believe one incident was eight doses of Narcan that we gave someone. Oh. Uh, which is, it is quite a lot. Normally, someone that's ODing, I say normally, it's not really that normal, but one or two doses, maybe three will do it. But this person in particular took eight doses. And he, on the street, we only carried two doses. Each, mm -hmm. Like each officer only carried two doses. So it was, so uh, does, go ahead. So what does that tell you? Does that, does that tell you that it's prolonged use for on his, on his side or was that deal with the size of the person why did it take eight do you think as opposed to only a couple i'm not you know a dre a drug recognition expert mm -hmm. i just i feel and i did not know this person this is my first time ever coming into contact with them in one mm -hmm. way or form the you know i i feel like any any number of things could happen of why mm -hmm. you give multiple doses to someone but if if they took enough I feel like it would take more to curb that reaction. So I just think that maybe they got a hot dose. Maybe there was something, maybe fentanyl in it or something. And it just didn't, didn't do what it was normally going to do for them. And so they needed a little bit more of a comeback administered. Oh, hmm. That's got to be such a incredible feeling. Right. As you mentioned, that the, they're they're pretty much lifeless and mm -hmm. then you're administering whatever this this medication is and then mm -hmm. watching them come back. Yes. Yeah. It's you know, and I'm giving people CPR and it's mm -hmm. a completely different beast than administering something like Narcan CPR. They just kind of come back out of a sleep, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, Narcan, whenever you administer that, uh, they're going to pop up like a daisy, like ready to fight. Oh, <laughs> so, man, really? See, I don't and, know that either. That's like TV. That's like what you see in the movies type of thing. Yes, when they... they pop up ready to go. So, yes, it's it's a completely different beast. And it is, it's a feeling. You say that it must be a good feeling. It's, it's, it's a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, that's got to be pretty shocking from your point of view, especially if you're just, you kneeling on the street or whatever is beside them and all of a sudden they pop straight up that has, yeah. that has to be quite a shock mm -hmm. absolutely all right well good so all right let's transition then is you eventually go from being a, an officer into being an analyst right so i mentioned before i had new administration come into my sheriff's office and they wanted to start a crime analyst program mm -hmm. they were traveling around to all the um, districts and visiting during shift briefs to let them know like hey here's who we are here's how we hope um, this term will go kind of a thing 
And one of the things that the sheriff mentioned was starting a, that crime analyst program. And that piqued my interest. Uh, I, I was already starting to get interested in it because I was almost done with my master's. And I was really trying to figure out what the next steps were going to be for me. I never, I love being on patrol. I actually miss being on patrol. I'd be lying if I said I didn't, but it was never a career for me. I, I, I didn't want to spend all my days on patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he said that, I just kind of bided my time. I waited and then they came out with the announcement that they were going to be hiring for it. The sheriff expressed interest in me starting that up. Now, mind you, I had never been a crime analyst before. I hadn't even like done any kind of like analytic work before that outside of academia. And then he's wanting me to start up the very first full-time crime analyst program at the sheriff's office. So it was a huge leap of faith on both of our parts, I believe, mine and the administration's. But they luckily gave me that chance, which I'm really, really grateful for. And I think, tooting my horn here, I think <laughs> I excelled in it, <laughs> pun intended. But I, I don't know. I, I really, I really liked it a whole lot. Now it was so stressful. It really was. Um, just starting up a program from the ground up. And then also doing it for a sheriff's office, because you have to think a sheriff's office is two different sides of the house, essentially. You have the enforcement side, which I was familiar with, and then you have the detention side, which I was Mm -hmm. not familiar with. So I'm dealing with a bunch of things and even the, the politics of it and all of that stuff that I had no idea about because I'm just coming from being a lowly patrol officer. So it was, it was quite a change, but I, I thrived in it. I learned a lot. I was, uh, I self-initiated a bunch of projects and training and, and meetings and networking. And, you know, you fast forward after I'd built the program up for almost two years, I was so good at it that the Fusion <laughs> Center in Arkansas actually offered me to apply to one of their open analyst spots. So, Were you the only analyst when you first started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was the only one. I was I was the only one the, the whole time. Oh, OK. So that's what was my next question. Like, what did it grow into? And what about the jurisdiction? Because I hear from a lot of analysts that are part of sheriff's offices, like when you talk about the whole county, I mean, it's large, large space. I mean, did you ha- did you have that as well? You talked about the, the two sides of the corn, but you also have the area of jurisdiction. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm coming off a of patrol and I, I know Pulaski County. I, I've grown up here. I've been here my whole life. So mm-hmm. I worked on the street. It takes, on a good traffic day, 45 minutes to get from one side of the county to the other. So it's not the largest county Arkansas has, but it is the capital county. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it, it, it's a lot. It's the hub of the metro area. And so we do have a lot of you know, crime, violent crime, property crime, and everything else that comes through here. It's also a major thoroughfare. You've got I-30, I-40, all of that going through here. So the trying to trying to navigate all the aspects of the enforcement side and detention side when it comes to the whole entire county is it, it is it's it's difficult and trying to figure out your role at all at the same time and build those relationships with 
you know, your inside agencies that are in the county and then also your neighboring counties and their agencies and all of that. Ugh, it's a headache. <laughs> yeah. What was your goal? Were you given any directive from from the supervisors as to because I was trying I'm trying to get like, how did you know what success looked like? Well, <laughs> that was solely evaluated and determined by me, basically. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really given any kind of direction. Like I said, I self-initiated a bunch of things. I self-initiated networking and relationships with other agencies, meetings to try and get programs. My training, I paid for basically all of my training out of pocket. So it success to me looked like, oh, I was the very first analyst in Arkansas to get the IADALUS DDAX Analyst Award or mm-hmm. certificate. So that that was success to me. Success was also building a database that the whole agency could use and get data from that would then in turn talk, turn into, well, I guess answers to constat questions that I would get asked from the administration, um, the detention side of the house, um, every division uh, commander. It's just anytime I could go to a person and successfully answer their question based on the analysis that I put together, I, I counted that as an ex- as a success. Yeah, well, it sounds like you really are starting from the ground up, even more, even before analysis, right? Sounds like the data is needs some work even before you get to the analysis piece. Right, absolutely. And this sheriff's office, we actually, so while I was still working on the street, we had got a new RMS or record mm-hmm. management system. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was brand new and it was awesome. I thought it was awesome just being on patrol. Well, then... I get to the crime analyst spot and (laughs) there were so many balls dropped (laughs) and the development of this RMS, it's ridiculous. So there was a lot of talking that we had to do with the company to fix those issues. There was also a lot of some data cleaning that had to happen. And there were times that I had to flat out tell the sheriff to his face, like, I can't get that answer for you because of the way the RMS is. And it had it was no fault of his, it was no fault of the agency, it was no fault of anyone really. It's just we don't know what we don't know. But once we figured out what the problems were, we fixed those, I mean quickly. I I think every single problem or issue that I brought forth was dealt with and now we can get those answers and we can provide the administration and the community with those solutions. And who is this really responsive RMS? That would be Zerker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if uh, if I didn't know any better, I would highly question that name. But it doesn't <laughs> that doesn't yeah. surprise me. Zerker. Central uh, Central Square Technologies is who owns Zerker. I I yeah. loved it. I love uh-huh. working with Zerker, and they had a lot of nice little shiny tools that I didn't even get to use. That was awesome. So yeah. So but and then uh, how about connecting the the data that's from the RMS from the CAD into the detention side. Right. So it was all on one platform. So Zerker ran for the whole entire sheriff's office. Um, So it was just a a clear, just 
here's one tab for police reports. Here's one tab for calls for service from our dispatch. And here's another tab for bookings, releases. I even had access to all the warrants. Oh, geez. I had access to the fleet records training. I mean, all of that, everything that flows through a sheriff's office, I had access to um, those reports to provide data and and, and an analysis with all of those reports. Now, was there a point in time where you were like, all right, all right, I got all the data there. Now mm-hmm. I can start studying and doing analytics. Mm-hmm. Yes, because like I said, I built databases off of this just because we couldn't get some reports or some answers from the RMS itself. And so then I would have to export that data and clean it up. You know, every analyst's greatest thing is cleaning. Mm-hmm. And so I would do that and it would take weeks. You're talking about years and years and years of worth of data that I had to data clean. And me being me, I would sometimes do it two or three times until it was perfected to the best that I could possibly do it. Um, so it, it it was very uh, tedious and grueling tasks, um, but got it done, thankfully. Um, those databases were, were really crucial into providing some 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 outcomes that close cases and I think it made the, the the agency come a little bit closer to to the chest on how analysis could help them yeah now when you're cleaning data are you, is it addresses what or what oh, data are you cleaning everything for so I'll give you an example for detention there was a grant that I was helping with for the detention side and so that data cleaning looked like cleaning up even just the inmate names. There were several, of course, you know, we got people coming in and out and the same people coming in and out of the jail. So I got to get rid of duplicates. I got to fix their address. Sometimes their address, it would be the same, but it, that someone would spell it wrong. So I'd have to clean that. And then they had multiple social security numbers in there listed for them. And so I'd have to clean that up. You've got different date of births. You've got sometimes their race and their sex wouldn't be in there. So it's just whatever field you could possibly think of and whatever thing that that everyone would put in on a report. If there's a box and you write something there or you enter in something there, that's what I had to deal with in, in cleaning and making sure that it was all all good to go for the analysis. Hey, this is Shauna Gibson from the Pacific Northwest. This is to all you crazy PEMCO drivers out there. Do you know what a zipper merge is? It is when you let somebody else get in front of you and then somebody comes in behind you. You really don't have to push everybody out. So May you all learn the zipper merge and may the 405 and I-5 be a little bit more pleasant to drive down. Good luck with that, all of you crazy drivers. Hi, I'm Matthew Zakarowitz, and I have something for you to think about. Be grateful for what you have. The grass is rarely greener on the other side. All right. Well, let's uh, get into your analyst badge story. For those that are maybe new to the show, the analyst badge story is a career-defining case or project that an analyst works. So here we are, 2021. So this was from whenever I was at the Fusion Center. I had just started. It was, oh, let me think. 
April or May. So I started the Fusion Center in March of 2021. And so fast forward to May, I believe it was May, it was the end of May. There was a case that came out in a local city here in Arkansas, and they, there was an infant that was taken from his father, but not custodial parent, and they were on their way to New Orleans. I don't know why New Orleans, but they were on their way to New Orleans. And so there was a bulletin that I had put together very quickly on the car that the, the father and his friend were in. And on a hunch, you know, usually we, we send out stuff just default to statewide, just to Arkansas LE or law enforcement. And so on a hunch, I was like, you know what, I'm going to send this to Louisiana's Fusion Center as well. So this was late afternoon, probably right before I got off and left the office. I sent that out just before 4.30 in the afternoon. And then late that night, a Louisiana state trooper saw the vehicle and got that baby. Baby was safe and transported those other two back up here to sit and think about their actions <laughs> <laughs> so and then so what do you think made you put share it with louisiana because they were headed to new orleans and so i was like you know what i'm gonna send it to louisiana's uh, fusion center and that was a completely on a hunch too because i'm gonna assume that all fusion centers do the same thing we do and send out stuff that comes in that has to do with anything in their jurisdiction they send it out statewide mm-hmm. um Luckily, yes, they did, and it was a trooper that saw my bulletin and stopped that vehicle and and got them. Yeah. You see those every once in a while on the highway, whether it's an amber alert or maybe a silver alert, where it'll say, here's the car and here's the license plate. Most of the time, to be honest with you, I can't memorize license plates, so even (laughs) if I saw that vehicle, like, right after that sign i I might not even realize that that car in front of me is wanted but that's a a good story i i like the the data sharing and then the the happy ending of course right and i mean you're right too being in this position of an analyst especially a law enforcement analyst and coming from working on the street i think it, it really helped me because here i am i'm making bulletins half the time and i'm thinking about okay if I am in my car and it's two o'clock in the morning, am I going to look at this? And if I'm going to look at it, what, what am I going to pay any attention to the information in it if it's not structured a certain way? So anytime I make a bulletin, I have that mindset. I want it to look like is if I it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm in my patrol car, I want to go home, and I'm looking at this bulletin. So just relevant information, just real quick, and send that out. And I think it's, I think it's helped a whole lot. It, you know, gets rid of all the fluff. Yeah. Now, did you get any feedback from them regarding your bulletin? Yeah, absolutely. That's how, uh, that's how I found out that, because usually we just say, oh, hey, can you cancel this bulletin? Mm-hmm. Yes, we got a cancellation for the bulletin, but I, I was told by my major um, that the 
the trooper saw the bulletin and that's what made him stop the, the stop the vehicle and you know license plates too like you said i remember being on the street and i was really good at it whenever i was on the street i'd remember three four five license plates for the whole entire shift but now <laughs> i mean i'm in the boat with you jason i can't remember anything <laughs> yeah. well i mean even with the bulletins i mean you can get hundreds of bulletins a day mm-hmm. right Absolutely. i mean in terms of email in terms of all the information that might be out there to that particular trooper and it's so that's why i was wondering is was there something about your bulletin that that stuck with the trooper to, to kind of make him take notice maybe more than the, the other bulletins that he might have received that day i would hope that the emphasis of hey this person is heading to new orleans i would hope that any officer that would see a bulletin and say hey this person is heading to x and if that passes through your jurisdiction you're going to give it its due diligence and i believe that's what happened there yeah well and plus too if you know it's coming from arkansas there's only so many highways exactly that goes from arkansas to louisiana so and I think they were I think they were just right over the the state line whenever he they got stopped so yeah yeah no that, that that's good it's it's good when the system works right because there's, <laughs> Absolutely. there's so, you know you always hear those horror stories well the data was there but no one you know picked it up or no one paid any attention to it and then it's only in the aftermath that you realized what shoulda coulda woulda type thing mm-hmm. so, but all right well, let's get into your consulting gig then. First off, where, where did the name come from? <laughs> oh my gosh, funny story. So Consultalytics actually came from AI. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just like everything else eventually. Exactly. Um, I was, my family at the Fusion Center, I always ask them for advice. And I decided to ask them, hey, will y'all help me with a business name? Here's what I'm wanting to do. And that's Law Enforcement Analytics Consulting. And someone here, another analyst, suggested to use AI. And so I did. I put in my keywords and we spent... I don't know, maybe half the day <laughs> looking at what logos it made for us. And Consultalytics is what stick. And so I I liked it. There were many, many choices. A lot of good choices. AI, can, I understand, is is a beast. But I, I, I like the choices that it gave me. Yeah, well, now, now you know why there's all these Hollywood writer strikes and actor strikes because they want to make sure that you know, people aren't just using AI to uh, to write all their stuff and do all their work, right? Now, with that, did you have to, I guess it's your own business, so it's not necessarily that you would have to tell people that, hey, this was created using AI technology, but... No, that, you just put in, I mean, it's the same if, like... I was writing a paper for one of my classes and used AI. I'm not going to put that citation on there. (laughs) But but no, I, so you just put in your keywords and it gave me a whole bunch of names that it created off of those keywords. It told me I chose Consultalytics out of the pack because it would tell me on this certain AI platform, it told me domains, website domains that were available for that name. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted a, a .net or a .org. And Consultalytics was 
one of the, it was, I think that one and another one that had a .org available. And so I was like, sign me up. I want that one. Now you mentioned logo. Did you go with the logo too? No. So the original uh, look of it that AI gave me, I didn't like. And so mm -hmm. I decided to do another, another platform for the logo and, and went that route. Was that AI too, or was that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There you go. So you don't have to have any employees. You just you can just do AI. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you, technology. All right. So then, I guess with this consulting company, I guess what are your goals? What do you What do you hope to achieve? Uh, there's There's so many things. You know, it's still it's still in its infancy, but. There's a lot of good things that have already uh, started to happen out of this. Some good collaborations with some companies. We've got some, I've got Fusion Center contacts that are coming in uh, to partnership with it and collab with it and uh, really grow it. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what I can do with it. I, my main vision with it, whenever I clicked, yes, make this business was I already help a lot of public safety personnel with training and analytics, and I teach those courses and everything through another company on a contract basis. And so I, I was already out there helping all these public safety personnel to, to really excel in all of that. I wanted to broaden that. I really wanted to say, okay, well, you need training and here's what I can offer you. And if I can't offer it to you, let me help you find a resource that can help you with that. Not only that, but there's a lot of uh, agencies out there that don't have a crime analysis element. And I really, starting the crime analyst program at the sheriff's office, I feel like that could be implemented in so many other agencies. So that's that's my other half of 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 consultalytics is to go out there, meet with these agencies saying, hey, if you're interested, which most most people that are reaching out to me, they already want to start a real time crime center. They're already wanting to start a crime analyst program. They just don't know where to start. And so I help guide them down that path. The real time crime center. It seems to me that is more of a daunting task because there's so much collaboration. I, I feel with an analyst unit, I feel that you could at least start small and work your way up. But it, And you can just correct me if I'm wrong. With like a real-time crime center or a fusion center, it seems like you go big or go home. There's no baby step in it. You're, and you're right. So fusion centers are already a thing. You know, they've been a thing yeah. for a while. Mm -hmm. And so their SOPs, I mean, they may change, but they're kind of like set in their ways. So this is by no means trying to change something that established. It's to really, the real-time crime centers are, are what are starting to pop up and all over the place. And I like to think that real-time crime centers are true to their name. And so they are the tactical side while You'll see, at least in my old fusion center, it was more strategic. So your crime your crime analyst programs in your local agencies or sheriff's office, they will kind of focus on both sides of it. So they're administrative, they're tactical, they're strategic, they're all over the place. And they really don't know what they want out of the program. Um and so it's good to go ahead and lead them on that path because if you take 
like my example, when I built that program, I was getting all kinds of requests from all directions. And I was that administrative analyst. I was that tactical analyst, strategic analyst, all of those things. And it was, that's, that's the reason why it was such a headache. Now I loved it. Mm -hmm. I did, but I loved it too much. I I was never, I was never 10, seven. I was always working and my husband hated it. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't want other analysts to be like that because you, that's what causes burnout. And I, I don't, likes I'm very empathetic I don't like seeing other people like that and so that's that's a pretty big goal of consultalytics is to make sure an agency if they if they want to help their community help their own people then there I am I'm going to help them down that path hold their hand and come in whenever I am needed right. so I guess in terms of creating a a new unit uh, do you have a general philosophy or maybe a series of must do's in the beginning or or even something like hey this is based on my experience i I feel you should do x y and z before you do a b and c yes absolutely there's there's a few things making the decision for it is already um, a huge hurdle um, because of course you got to get funding for it and you're looking at like this isn't going to happen overnight uh, so you're looking at, you know, real-time crime centers can take up to a year uh, to really get into the swing of things. But a crime analyst unit, uh, you could really do that in, let's say, six to eight months. You could really build it into something. Once you check off all the pre-planning boxes saying, yes, I want this unit to happen. Yes, we have the funding. So where do we begin? There's three things that I really, really think that the agency should focus on. And it's leadership, training, and the community and agency needs with a stress on the community part. Uh, it's not just your agency that needs to benefit from this. It also needs to be the community. But your leadership, that's everything. I mean, it trickles from the from the top down, right? So you need to have that, that firm foundation or the unit is going to fail in and of itself. And you can build up a unit all day long, but if you're not backed, if you don't have that buy-in from your administrators, your other stakeholders, nothing's going to go forward with it. And then go to training. There's no such thing as too much training. There are so many different trainings, even in the amount of time that I've been an analyst. There there have been so many new technologies, new uh, trainings that have come out there on just little subject matter areas. There's so much training out there that a new analyst and even experienced analyst can do. So having an agency to say, yes, I want you to do training. Okay, well, what training? All right, well, I, I would, I think agencies should provide either resources to go get that training or they should have that standard of saying, yes, I want those that are going to be in this unit, I want them to be uh, certified in this. I want them to have uh, this foundation's training. I want them to have this certification or this subject matter certification within this amount of time. This, we're going to get a new program um, like Celebrite, for example. Um, I want them to be able to get certified in that and head that head that platform uh, for the whole agency and all of that. So I think that any kind of startup for a unit um, should also have that aspect. And then, of course, your your needs. It's the agency will focus whenever they have. It's just like starting a business. You have your business proposal, your business plan, your your roadmap. 
the agency will, I feel most often if when, when you meet with them, they're going to say, okay, well, here are our needs. And I'm going to come right back to them and say, okay, well, what is your community needs? And hopefully about 85% will say X, 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 and X. But somehow I feel like it's not going to be like that. And that's where you, you go out to the community. You ask them like, hey, what do you want from the agency? What transparency can we provide? And, you know, you'll see a, a lot of agencies now, especially on all social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, they'll put out their stats every day, every week or whatever of traffic stops and arrests. And they'll put out those press releases on significant arrests and all that. That's exactly what I mean. The community needs to come into it. It doesn't need to be an us versus them thing. They we're all a collaborative effort. So Definitely that, that the analytical unit is only going to thrive. I feel if those top three things are in there. I like the community step that you, you have there. And I I think that's one that may be overlooked in, in certain situations. It is difficult. I think with certain neighborhoods for, for them to feel that they do have a voice, right? And I, I think, you know, if you have, something with like an HOA and you have people that leaders in that community that are willing to uh, speak up and go to council and, and that, I mean, it's that, that voice is naturally going to be there. But if the, the communities that are more uh, disorganized, that don't have that uh, voice, don't have that established uh, group like an HOA or community leaders. That's where it's going to be the biggest struggle because there's not just a couple people to go listen to or one one even a couple meetings to go listen to. It's, it's something that you're going to have to almost establish yourself in order to try to get uh, a group together that is going to be representative of the whole neighborhood. Right. And 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 why not go out there and do that? What do you have to lose? I mean, you're either going to build that relationship or you're not. And you can't make people come. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. So just go out there. Try to at least make those relationships, especially nowadays, having that law enforcement presence in a community, maybe even a community that hasn't seen it in a positive manner. This starting up a crime analyst unit where it's the civilian side and also the sworn side may that's a a common ground i feel that can be between law enforcement and the community and you just don't you don't have anything to lose having your your unit go out there and try to make that relationship and and build that relationship it just i mean do it you have literally nothing to to lose from that You, you mentioned training and I am on a soapbox recently about training and because I, <laughs> I feel that too much analytical training is observation only. It's lecture based. Mm-hmm. You have you go to this big auditorium, person lectures, and then the analyst goes home with some type of awareness. There's not much X's and O's. There's not much tangible uh, skills and abilities that's taken back from the training. I think most mm-hmm. conferences are like that. I think that, uh, less things have changed now than when I was 
going through training in the aughts. That's how most of my training was in the aughts. I think it might be a little bit different if you're training on a particular software. You know, you talk about Cellbrite or if you talk about mm -hmm. Penlink or if you, that's the train, if you're going to look for a to train on a software, yeah, it can be X's and O's. But if it's uh, uh, just a uh, general analytical training, there's I, I feel there's not a lot of X's and O's. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying, and I, I do see that too. And you know, I said it before: too much training, there is no such thing. You know, you can go to five different social network analysis courses, and they're all going to be different. And they're going to check off boxes for one analyst that for the next analyst, they don't check those boxes. So going out there and doing those those trainings are no matter what. I mean, as long as uh, your agency is paying for it and there is something to gain from it, then why not? However, those trainings that lack that hands on and applicability to your actual function in your agency. Yeah, those no one's going to pay attention to those. So I, and I think also and I have this currently and in my classes, those trainings that you're made to go to. They're already not going to be paying attention. So, yes, it is a it is a hurdle for an instructor. It's also a hurdle for a student to try and figure out what training. But no matter what, that training is important. It's just trying to find that that good training is, is sometimes more difficult than what it should be. Yeah, and it, there is a little bit on the attitude and effort of the analyst, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, some of it can be what you make it. Right. You go to a social media training there. And if you're if you're hungry and eager and want to learn more, you're going to network. You're going to ask the right questions. You're going to be searching for more information. You're going to be that sponge that wants to soak up all that knowledge. Whereas on the tail end of that, if it's something you're made to do, you're going to check in at 8 a.m. and you're going to check out at 4 p.m. And that's probably all the more you're going to think about that day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't do that with Consultalytics <laughs> and the other courses I teach. I make it enjoyable. Even the ones that I'm not going to say that I don't like teaching them, but uh, the ones that I don't like teaching, such as, let's say, critical thinking, that's a difficult class for anybody. But I've kind of gotten into it just because of the way I teach it. I try to make it as entertaining as possible, even though it's not the most entertaining subject. And I feel it's on the instructors for the courses. If they can make that, if they actually enjoy the subject that they are instructing on, then the students are, are going to buy into it. Even if maybe they didn't want to be there in the first place. I have had trainings like that. Um, but it, that's, that's what you kind of strive for. I think any instructor strives for is to have a student that um, will take home some kind of skill or new piece of knowledge from their courses no matter what it is yeah hmm. yeah and it is you know it's just a lot easier you know it's just a lot easier to just uh, have a, a lecture or something like that than to break up into groups and have something more tangible right if you <laughs> have something more tangible you need smaller groups essentially. yes i mean mm -hmm. it's 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 too difficult to feed feed the ma masses knowledge and, and something other than a lecture style event. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, 
I, I get how we got there. I just, just, I really think there's just too much of it. It's not, it's not that I'm against the whole concept, uh, thinking that it should be all thrown away. I just think that there's, there just seems like there's only usually one type of training. And mm -hmm. especially at these conferences, there's just the same type of training over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like those documentaries on Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy <laughs> that you keep watching. You watch every single one of them thinking that you're going, it's going to be different. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's never, it never is. <laughs> no, no, no. My wife, my wife's into those. She just watched the Jared from Subway one. I, I don't know if that's yes. on Netflix or what. And then she was watching another one about uh, Alabama sororities. <laughs> like it doesn't have anything to do with crime. It would have, it's nothing to do with crime, but it's about these <laughs> sorority girls and their, their perspective on trying to get into these sororities in uh, the University of Alabama. And she's like, it's it's so cringy that <laughs> she had, she had to watch it. So anyway, I got off on a tangent there, but anyway, so, but all right, well, let's move on to advice section. So one of the questions I like to ask is my, what I call the return on investment question. And this is something that an analyst can study today that will be important five years from now. Absolutely. It goes back to all that technology that all of us see coming out. I have, I have a good example. Apple AirTags are fairly new. Mm -hmm. When those first came out, people really didn't know anything about them, but criminals did, and criminals very quickly started exploiting Apple AirTags. So we developed Intel products on Apple AirTags to send out to law enforcement, and you you can't even begin to imagine the feedback and questions we got some that we could answer and some that we couldn't but just being out there you're faced with something new go out there and do the research and find out more about it because especially if it's something like apple hair tags that criminals are going to exploit find out ways to deter to mitigate that new thing. Um, so any kind of advances in that in our world that could be exploited with some kind of criminal element, I I suggest going out there and learning about it. Yeah. No. What were they doing with those air tags? Were they, were they their own air tags that they were using, or were they targeting people, other people's air tags? No. So they're putting. Air tags on vehicles for human trafficking. They were like oh, kidnapping okay. people. Yeah, and then I mean they'll do it also for narcotics trafficking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was a pretty big thing, especially down here in in the southern part of the United States. It was a really big thing for a while. That's scary stuff. Mm. All right, all right, good. And then another question I like to ask these days is what I call unpopular opinion. And this is basically your take on a law enforcement analyst topic that maybe go against the grain. So do you have an unpopular opinion? I sure do. And I actually got this yesterday <laughs> after talking with a colleague of mine from the FBI. He, we were discussing and products and assessment versus judgment and he said something that resonated with me and it's you know us as analysts we live in a world of uncertainty right 
why can't we be comfortable with that? If you're like me, I don't like that uncertainty. But as an analyst, I do live in that world of uncertainty. There's something that I'll come out or I'll make a judgment on today that tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, it, it could make it different. It could change that judgment or it can completely expel that judgment altogether. And that doesn't mean that we were wrong in the moment. It just means that there was an advancement. There's new information out there. Maybe it's something that we missed by accident. And so living in that world of uncertainty, analysts should be comfortable with it. Don't be uncomfortable with it. Be comfortable living in that uncertainty. It's totally okay to be uncertain about something. Yeah, I know I don't necessarily appreciate the journey, right? I, to me, if I don't see a path, I, 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 that is a very uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I know the path, if I know, okay, I can, I can most likely get there, even if it takes time, I'm, I'm, I can be comfortable with that. But it's this idea of working on a task that is full of uncertainty to the point where, like, I don't know where this is going to go. I have mm-hmm. no idea if this is going to end in anything even remotely positive, right? It's that, it's that, is there going to be any return on investment or is it going to be all lose-lose? That, right. that is is something that even as I, most of the time is concentrating on the keeping the end in mind. And not, as I said, don't and really necessarily enjoy the hunt, enjoy the journey of whether it comes up with something positive or not, there's that experience of the hunt. And mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I do fall into that thing as like, I don't like this, this uncertainty feeling or be living in that, in that world. I like to know, I like to keep the end in mind and have a direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do too. I'm too OCD for that. Um, so whatever he said that yesterday, I was like, Oh, you know what? You are totally right. Because whenever we we make a judgment on any kind of Intel product or any kind of analysis, that is based on information we know in the moment. Um, That information is going to change at some point. That information is going to change. And that's the uncertainty. And that's where the uncertainty comes in. And so just being uh, comfortable that there is some kind of aspect of uncertainty to our analysis it's totally okay. It's okay. It's going to bug you OCD people just like it bugs me, <laughs> but it's okay that it's there. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I'm thinking of this week, Penlink bought, who did they just buy? We just talked about it. Penlink bought. Um, well, Penlink bought Geotime, you said last they, year? Yeah. Penlink bought Geotime last year. And then this week they bought. They collabed with Cobwebs. Cobwebs. I, well, I didn't, maybe I assumed that Penlink bought out cobwebs but yeah there's definitely some collaboration going on there i mean that's that's if you if you're part of that circle of technology and go to those any conference usually those three entities are in the last past year have been part of any conference so but it's exciting i understand business wise why they're doing it you're 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 bringing together a situation where you're going to have the you know the peanut butter and jelly and having something really good in terms of the merger and the collaboration. Um, I think my first thought though is like every time it gets a little bit bigger, it's going to be more expensive. And for smaller departments, it's already difficult to purchase some of these big modules that uh, these big platforms that these companies are putting together. So that's my first 
thing is like, okay, bigger is automatically going to mean more expensive, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bigger isn't always better. The I, I like the col I like the collab. I really do because I've got success stories using cobwebs. I haven't personally used PinLink or PLX, but I have collabed with agencies. I know those success stories and I know the applicability of it. I've taken trainings with it. We just don't have that platform. Now, putting those two together, I can definitely see some really, really good things coming out of that, especially, you know, hot topic right now is human trafficking. Mm -hmm. I can see a lot of good success stories coming out of that collab, having cobwebs and PinLink on the ground for an operation and human trafficking. I can definitely see some good stuff coming out of that. I just don't know when the announcement came out, there wasn't a whole lot of information. So I'm very curious to see just what direction it really goes. It, I hope that it is the the positive, but I also that there is that negative side, like you mentioned, of like funding and the price. I would hope that them knowing how how good of an outcome this collaboration could be, I hope they don't take advantage of that <laughs> and and make it to where, you know, you do have that that restriction for some agencies because these smaller agent agencies need those resources more than, you know, state agencies or bigger metro places. So Yeah. Why well, I you know, it's it there's probably politics and there's politics and everything. But I would mm. I would like to see states like statewide get in the game and say, look, we're as a state, we're going to pay for this software for your jurisdiction. And then you have every jurisdiction in the state being on that platform. You know, it's just but it's hard because it's you got all these separate, you got 17, 18,000 agencies out there with uh, 17 or 18,000 budgets and uh, different people making decisions on it. It's hard to get everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, I think you are right. I, I think the product that they put forward will have, uh, be more convenient and be able to uh, leap over uh, more hurdles. I just, I, I think my thing is just that lack of, cheaper alternatives as a stepping stone right and i talked about this on on my conversation with dallas knight it seems like either you don't have software or you have a hundred thousand dollar software i mean mm. it just seems like there's not I'm, I'm exaggerating i understand that but it just seems like everybody's going to that platform model that you have to invest this huge amount of money when at the end of the day all i want to do is create a link chart or right do something fairly simple, not, you know, connect everything to everything and, you know, invest half the budget on this platform. Exactly. Yeah, I agree completely. Let's finish up with personal interest then. And you are a video gamer, which oh, I love. So I know you have a, a wee one, so you're not so playing as much as you used to. If you're playing right now, what game are you playing? Well, I am trying to make that 100% on Hogwarts right now. <laughs> and let me tell you, those field guide pages are kicking my butt. <laughs> uh, oh. God, nerding out so much right now. Um, yeah. 
but I do have that little one and I yeah. ended up having to get him a little like game controller that looks like our, P- our PS5 controller so that yeah. he doesn't try to steal mine. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's playing with you. I got you exactly. at, least pre- at least pretending. So, all right. So you got the, you're into the Hogwarts words game then. So yeah, that is, I've, I've heard some, some good things about that particular game. It actually was, was surprised my son didn't ask to get that but it's like it it does seem like a huge investment of time because that, there is a lot going on with that game it really is it's a true open world game and so i that's what i really like about it i like games like that because you know I'm, until they make another tomb raider game i'm just kind of here in limbo <laughs> Oh man, you know, I, I, I see I'm old enough to remember Tomb Raider. So, but Tomb Raider is one that I really enjoyed, but there was still even back in the old PS2 days, it's like, how was I ever supposed to figure that out without a guide? Like there would be, there was like so hard, like there would be no reason I would even go over there normally. Like, why would you expect us to do this double flip, hang on, backflip and then fall? (laughs) <laughs> and then figure yeah. out that that's what you were supposed to do to get to the next level. Yes. Uh, in the, the Hogwarts thing, are, what level are you in? Are you, are you a wizard or what class, yeah, classification so are you? I'm a witch and I tried to be bad. I made bad, like <laughs> whenever you can, you can choose what you say. I tried yeah. to be bad, but it's like, it kind of makes you it doesn't really change it for me, uh, or at least for me, it didn't. It didn't change the outcome of anything. I'm, what level am I? 37, I believe, is where I'm at right now. So I, I'm one of those where I like to explore. My husband is not. He is one of those, like, go in guns blazing. <laughs> um, I I like to explore and get all the treasure first and find the little, the little knickknacks before I finish the main story. So... I kind of, I've kind of delayed on, on the big hype of it, but there's, there's some stuff that like, I can't, I can't do now, I guess, because I didn't follow the storyline. So I'm gonna have to restart it. (laughs) Oh, bummer. So 37 and you said you're trying to get to a hundred. Oh no, I'm, I'm at like my, Jason, you need to learn some things. Yeah. I need to learn a lot. Yeah. You've got what level you are after like you get all your XP points. And so I'm mm-hmm. at level 37. The percentage of how my, how done I am with the game, I'm at 99. Uh, okay, okay. Well, see, I heard you say 100 before. So that's why when you can't, went back to 37, I was like, man, you, you do have a long way to go if you're at 37 and need to get to 100. So, all right. Yeah. My, my Hogwarts people out there will, will know what I mean. Oh, man. A good deal. like so do you have like a username oh gosh yes I, <laughs> it was like one of the ones that like playstation just gives you i never changed oh, okay. it I, yeah i think it's like amazed boredom or something like that <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> excellent all right well our last section of this show is where it's the world and this is where i give the guest the last word nicole you can promote any idea that you wish what are your words to the world Your guests have really harped on this, and it's something close to all of our hearts, but that's your mental health. Everyone out there, take care of you first and your job last. There is nothing more important in this world than you yourself and then your family. So definitely take care of you first. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you giving me just enough to talk bad about you later. (laughs) Absolutely. 
but I do appreciate you being on the show, Nicole. Thank you so much, and you be safe. Thank you so much for having me, Jason, and you too. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.